I'm hoping by next Sunday to be able to give you guys uh, an actual hard date on when we're going to be back in the worship center. I am happy to tell you, three tractor trailers came to our campus this week delivering seats. They're going in. Um, yeah, it's awesome. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. We are going to go back, though, to uh, 9 and 1030. That's the plan right now. We're having a big celebratory thing for the opening day. Again, I hope by next Sunday. I'm just not quite comfortable enough to tell you the date yet, but it's not long down the road. And thank you for being flexible. Thanks for making space, for moving over. It's all been good, and uh, you guys have been awesome through this. So we appreciate it. Um, you know, this three preaching, I did it for years. It's, it's, uh, it's fine. However many services God allows us to have, if God will fill them up, we'll still preach and sing and love, love people, love God. So uh, let's, let's talk about Hebrews, guys. It's Hebrews, an anchor for the soul. That's where we are. And why did I choose that theme? Really, as we're going to see next week, the next two Sundays, I'm going to talk about who's at the helm. I'm asking a series of questions. Who's the goat? What's up with angels? Who's at the helm? Then I'm going to shift it after that mini-series, and um, I got a message called Don't Stop Believing. There might be a little music in that message. So we're going to have uh, who's at the helm. The natural tendency of us is to drift. It's to drift away, and the, the world is drifting quickly, and so we're coming back to be anchored, and we're learning Hebrews 1, 1, and 2. So you guys say it with me, and then we'll throw some blanks in there and do our best. You ready? Let's go. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds. Now good, let's check that out for a minute. He spoke in various times in various ways, right? He spoke to Abraham. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to David. Um, he spoke to these guys and used prophetic voices. But in the last days, when the Bible says that, it means the days after the death, burial, and resurrection of the Messiah, Jesus. In these last days, this is the last season, in these days God spoken by his Son. He's heir of all things, and we're joint heirs according to Ephesians. We're joint heirs with Jesus. And through Jesus, God made the world. So this world and all of the world. So checking that out, let's throw some blanks in there, see how we do. You ready? God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers, good, by the prophets, has in these last days spoken by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, good, through whom also he made the worlds. Yeah, you guys got it. That's awesome. All right. So important truths in there. So we've talked about why Jesus is so much better than the angels. We started last week with three truths. I'm going to show them to you again as we read the text. So stand with me, if you would, in the honor of the reading of God's word. Y'all help that young man if he's a little wobbly on his feet. We'll uh, do whatever we need, Mike. Um, whew, you're just giving us more days to put stuff together, man. Oh, it's going to be good. The sound effects we're going to add to that. Oh, man. If y'all don't know, I have a baptism video that went viral a few years ago on different platforms. It's well over a million views. When I had a kid terrified of water, his mother didn't bother to tell me he was terrified of water. And so he nearly ripped the glass down out of our baptistry. And so I just, he was just about nine or 10. I just lifted him up and dunked him. I did a super dunk. 
And um, so it's out there floating in uh, Never Never Land. Normally, if I'll go preach somewhere real serious, like a chapel seminary or something, they'll find it and they'll show it and say, boy, this guy's really passionate about baptism. So <laughs> those things can, can outlive you, I'm sure. But um, what we have here is that Jesus had purged our sins, right? He sat down at the right hand of God. And then it says he's having become so much better than the angels. He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten you? That's rhetorical. It means he never said that to an angel because Jesus is better because he's a unique son. We learned that. It says, I will be to him a father. He shall be to me a son. Not only is he a unique son, though, he is superior in his worthiness. Watch. But then again, he brings the firstborn into the world and he says, let all the angels of God worship him. Nobody worships the angels. They worship Jesus, the son of God. So he's superior in his worthiness. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels a wind or spirit and his ministers a flame of fire. But to the son, he says, your throne, O God. Notice the son is called God. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. That means he has the righteous role of king. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You've loved righteousness, hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions, more than the other heavenly host. And this is where we'll pick up today. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You'll fold them up and they'll be changed. But you are the same. Your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they angels, not all ministering spirits, sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, this is an amazing section of Scripture. And by your spirit, the writer is, is wanting us to see just how much greater Jesus the Son is than the created beings known as angels. I pray today we will get some questions answered. I pray, Lord, that we'll learn some more. That's nothing wrong with that. That's a good exercise. We need to grow deeper in our faith if we know Jesus. But I pray that we'll not just get questions answers and, and not just learn more about angels. I pray that we'll learn to love you more that we'll learn to trust Christ more, that we'll see his superiority in every way. And that while our culture is fascinated with the spiritual and fascinated with the angel world, may they be even more drawn to Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. Thank you guys, be seated. So Jesus is better because of his unique sonship and superior worthiness and righteous role as king. But I wanna go ahead and give you, yeah, that you guys are good, man, I was fast. Okay, so he's better because of this, but let me give you number four, okay? He's also better because of his immutable, or another way to say that is unchanging character. Jesus is better because of his immutable or unchanging character. Did some of the angels change? Well, yeah, they did. Some of them left the light and went into the darkness. Some of them walked with God, and then they tried to be enemies of God. Now, ultimately, they're going to lose, but they're still out there as demons or the unholy angels. But Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In fact, what we find is the longest of these seven Old Testament quotes, and this one's from Psalm 102, and it's just a long quote in, in verses 10, 11, and 12. Look at it. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Now remember, this is still in reference to God speaking to the Son. It's very interesting. 
because he's called him God. Now he's called him Lord. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. See, he's creator. They will perish, but you will remain immutable, unchanging. They will grow old like a cloak. You'll fold them up. They'll be changed, but you are the same and your years will not fail. So like a worn out garment. Have you ever had a garment? You ever had like a sweatshirt and you just wore it so much it just started coming apart? I had some good sweatshirts when I got married. I had a fraternity sweatshirt with our old college fraternity. I had some William and Mary stuff. I had a thing called 225 Club. A buddy of mine actually got made for me when I benched 225 and was working out a lot more. And my, uh, in my home though, I lost all my sweatshirts. All of them. Because there was somebody in my house that thought she needed to dress like an Eskimo all the time. And so, and I would, I would say, honey, I'll buy you. It's funny what happens later in life though, y'all, because things are reversed and I'm freezing to death and she's hot a lot and it's weird. And so I wish I had my old sweatshirts back, but, but I would, I would beg her, I'll go buy you some. She said, no, I like these. And so she would wear them until like the arms was, were falling off and holes in them and everything. And that's the way this world is going. The world is getting worn out like a garment. Creation is decaying, but Christ is the same. Everything else is changing, but Jesus is the constant. And the superiority of Christ over the angels is obvious. They have changed. Some of them morphed. Some of them have become into the demonic realm, but not Jesus. It is very interesting to note that the first readers of this letter were reminded that in a world characterized by change, you don't have to go back to Judaism. You stay with Jesus because, look, uh, Jewish Christians... Yes, Nero's coming to power. Yes, your world is changing. Yes, the temple is soon to be destroyed. AD 70, the Romans would come in and destroy it. Not a stone left on another. Yes, the culture was changing. People were hating you. You were going to lose your homes, your businesses. Some of you, many of you, your lives. Some of you would be lit on fire to be a garden torch for the evil emperor. But Jesus is still there. And in a world right now in 2022, because the world's always been changing. Let's not fool ourselves into thinking it's just now. But it does seem to be changing at a much more rapid pace these days. And so as things seem to spin out of control, there is a constant. And he says, you remain. You, oh Lord, you remain. They perish, but you remain. I love verse 11. They perish, but you remain. They grow old, but... Your years will not fail. I love that. It, it's kind of like this thing right here. Um, let me ask a question. Music people. I've only had a few in each service. Music people, if I said this to you, does anybody know what this means? A equals 440. Any music people? Good. Thank the Lord. I was hoping the Bradhams would know that. Some of you music people. Music is just vibration. Sound is mere vibration. And so A equals 440 says this. A in the musical scale, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, and then you have sharps and flats. A and on the certain register, equals 440 oscillations or vibrations per second. That's important. Because wherever you go in the world, if you want to tune together, even if you have different instrumentation, if you can find 440 vibrations or oscillations in a second, you will find an A. In an orchestra, if you have one, Miss Cindy used to play oboe when she was younger, uh, the oboist is typically the person that leads out to play the A. So what I have here is called a pitch pipe. 
I've used it for many, many, many years, and it says right on the front, A-440. Now, it has more than just the A. In fact, really all this thing is is sort of a round harmonica. Um, and so you can see it silver on one side, black on the other. I used to sing a lot of national anthems for ball games and other things. I needed this because the national anthem goes low and then it goes quite high at the end. You want to start on the right pitch. Uh, I was in an inaugural group that started a jazz acapella group. You heard our, our instrumentalists playing for you at the beginning. It was amazing. Those guys are super talented. And uh, we started a jazz acapella group and it was imperative. Many times the 16 of us would be on 16 different parts. How in the world do you get that to work together? You tune together. And so if I play this, and I can prove through the keyboard here, I'm going to play that A equals 440. And so that particular A is called A4. Sounds a little different because of the digital nature of the piano through the sound system, but it's not A. That's not it. That's not it. And it sounds maybe to some of you like it's A, but it's not. That's an octave low. It's It's not that. And if you've got any ear at all, you know, ah, that doesn't sound right. So if I play this, you don't expect to hear, ah. Otherwise, you don't want to hear any more. And yet, to be very honest with you, that's the way I feel when I look at the culture around us. I look to the Word of God. I, I know what God says. There's a standard, and I look at the world, and I hear, I hear something different. I see something different, because the world's not tuning to the Word of God anymore. The world is tuning to their own thing, and here's the deal. I'm not saying all of you have to sing the same note, but I am saying as a body of Christians, we have to be in harmony one with another. And that means we tune together. We don't tune to one another, then we'll all be off. We tune to the one who never changes. Much like the pitch pipe, the word of God is a constant and the Jesus of the word is a constant. We tune our lives toward Christ and then even if we're not singing the same note, we're in harmony with one another and each part does what it was designed to do. And so this is what we're missing in in our world. Jesus is better than the angels because Jesus is always in tune. He's in tune with the heart of the Father. He's in tune with the Holy Spirit. He's in tune with true believers. And true believers can be in tune with one another. But when true believers try to go their own way and do their own thing, they get out of fellowship with Christ, out of fellowship with one another, and then chaos ensues. And it's like scratching your nails. I should have brought a chalkboard, but I don't have any nails. But it would be like scratching your nails on a chalkboard. I mean, think about the world in which we live. They say up is down and down is up and right is wrong and wrong is right. And I'm looking at this thing going, no, God has not stuttered. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Why are we changing to placate people? All we're going to do is degrade together. How about we have a church that stays constant and says no matter where everybody else may choose to go, we are going to stay in tune with the Lord. How about that? I like that idea. I like that concept, right? So look, your marriage is in trouble, check your tune. If your relationships are in trouble, are you in tune? First with Christ, then with others. Jesus is better than angels because of his immutable, unchanging character as creator. And I know Miss Lucy wanted to play with this, so I'll let her play later. And then Jesus is better than angels because of his matchless authority. 
his matchless authority. But to which of the angels, verse 13, has God ever said, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Man, if your enemies are your footstool, you are in charge. (laughs) You are the real deal. You are the king of kings. And so this is a quote from Psalm 110 and verse 1. It is the key psalm used in the book of Hebrews. And check this out. It is the most quoted verse from the Old Testament, quoted or alluded to in the New Testament. Now, I think that's an interesting choice, right? But this is the verse God uses more than any other. Sit at my right hand, he says to the Son, till I make your enemies your footstool. It is quoted or alluded to 23 times in the New Testament. 11 out of 27 New Testament books have it. Seven out of approximately nine New Testament authors quote this verse or allude to this verse. Now, what is this verse about? Well, clearly, it's speaking of the time when Jesus is ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high. Go back to verse 3. And after Jesus' death on the cross for your sins and mine, his burial and resurrection by the power of God who approved his sacrifice on the third day, that's our first Easter, Jesus spent 40 days on the earth, he ascended back to the right hand of God the Father, and he sat down demonstrating completed work. I'm not saying he never stands up. He stood up when Stephen was martyred. He stood up to welcome him into his presence. I'm not saying he never stands. But when we see Christ, the vast majority of the time post-resurrection, he's seated. The work is done. The war is won. And yet, and yet, the battle still rages. How do we understand that? No different than cutting off the head of the serpent. You cut off the head of the serpent, there's still a lot of movement There's a lot that goes on. So the head of the serpent has been severed, and yet he's still thrashing. He's still hurting people. But the battle rages, and the war is won. You see, Jesus claimed this verse spoke of him in Mark Mark 12, 36. And the son's enemies are not yet bowed down as a footstool, but the day is coming. The day is coming that every knee will bow. The day is coming that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The day is coming. It's just not quite there. 1 Corinthians 15. Y'all look at it with me on the screens. It's the resurrection chapter and it says this. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That means he was the first one to do it. Remember, he was not resuscitated. He was resurrected. The first one. And for since by man came death, Adam, by man, capital M, Jesus, also came the resurrection from the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. I love that. But each in his own order. Now watch this. Christ the firstfruits, he had to be resurrected first. Afterward, those who are at Christ at his coming, that's what we talked about last week out of 1 Thessalonians 4, then comes the end. We call that the eschaton, or you you study eschatology. What happens at the end of time? Because time really isn't circular, it really is linear. What happens at the end of it all? Well, when it comes to the end and he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father and Jesus puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power, all earthly kings will fail and fade, all nations will crumble. He says he, Jesus himself, must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. See, his footstool. What is the last enemy, church? What's the Bible say? And the last enemy is death. 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 
Death itself will die. Death itself will be destroyed. Death. We've had several funerals even this week. There'll be another for Mr. McCamey right here in this building today. And we pray for his sweet wife, Sherry, and their daughter, Parker, and the rest of the, the children. Mr. McCamey was here just a couple of weeks ago, just like you. He was listening to the message, worshiping Jesus, just like you. He goes home, spends time with his family, massive heart attack. The Lord calls him home. Well, they're Christians, so they know where he is. Yes, of course they do. Does it still hurt? Yes, of course it does. There's still intense grief and pain. Why for Christians? Why for Christians is there so much intense grief and pain? Because death isn't really the way it ought to be. God did not design us in this way. There was never this intent to have this even temporary separation between the material and immaterial me, between the body and the soul and spirit. There was never this intent, and yet by sin... We've been separated from God. And so Jesus has come to bring all things back together, to make all things new. And one day, death itself dies. And it's a beautiful promise that we don't have to fear death. Hey, listen, guys, I don't want to go today. I truly don't want to go. I want to see Sophia. I want to see how Lucy responds to Sophia. I want to see my children and their children. And God willing, their children and maybe even their children. I want to see the faith once delivered to me through my family be passed along to be a legacy. I don't need to see anything famous for me. I want to see something grand for my children and grandchildren and those who will follow. I want to go, but I promise you all this. I promise you this. If today's the day, I am not afraid to die. There's not one shred of me that worries about what happens when my eyes close in this life. Because when they close here, they're going to open to see the face of Jesus. I'm not at all worried about it. Now, i got to tell you, I have a confidence that when my time comes, because all my days are already written in God's book before I lived in one of them, and he's not going to be early, nor will he be late, but when my time comes, I will stand before my maker, robed in the righteousness of Christ, getting to heaven, not because I deserve it, but because Jesus is worthy, and I've trusted him as my Savior, and you can trust him and have a confidence because Jesus has matchless authority, and he never changes, y'all. He never changes. You see, the angels have a place, verse 14, are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation? Well, they're important, yes. They're ministering spirits, but not enthroned sons. I love what Billy Graham said. Y'all like Dr. Graham? Dr. Graham said this years ago. He said, millions of angels are at God's command and at our service. The hosts of heaven stand at attention as we make our way from earth to glory. And he said, and Satan's BB guns are no match for God's heavy artillery. Yeah, man. I love, Dr. Graham put it in a way I could understand it. That's why he spoke to so many people. Angels serve on God's behalf. They do the orders. They, they carry out the orders he commands. Now, of course, one of their primary duties is to care for believers. The Old Testament said that angels will deliver believers. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord. 
encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. The New Testament records angelic rescues. Y'all remember in Acts 12, Peter's in prison. The church is set to praying, and the angel comes. In fact, the Bible says, behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him. A light shone in the prison. It struck Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, arise quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, gird yourself, tie on your sandals. So he did. And he said, now put on your garment, or your outer garment, and follow me. I love that. You notice the angel came. They had been praying. The chains fell off because angels are messengers of God, ministering spirits to those in need. And so the chains fell off, but then his shoes didn't magically pop on his feet. His coat didn't magically go on him. The angel said, now get up, son, and do the part that you can do for yourself. See, sometimes people sit around, woe is me, crying. I'm telling you, man, put your shoes on and do what you can do for yourself and then trust God for the rest. But don't be asking God to do things you can do for yourself. Oh, I'm hungry. Then get up and eat. Well, I ain't got anything. Well, get out and work. I don't know if y'all know this, but I'm not big on handouts. But we won't go down that road today, okay? The point is this, I believe, I believe that there's always in the scriptures a divine human interaction, and angels do play a part in that, so they are important. Don't discount them, they are important, but you say, well, I don't see them. How do I know they're there? How can I believe in something I can't see? Well, I believe there's air in here, and I can't see it. Nor can you, unless it's dusty or unless it's got leaves in it or something, it's there. I believe in gravity, but I'm not, you know, I'm not going to go jump off the building to test it today. I believe in radio waves and ultraviolet light, quantum and subatomic particles, and I don't see them. I believe in a lot of things I don't see. You say, well, I'll never believe in anything I can't see for myself. If I can't see it, it doesn't exist. Have you ever seen your brain? <laughs> okay. I'll just leave you with that. That was free. Hmm. So are there angels among us? Sounds like a good old country song. We'll come back to that. I'll use some of the information again from gotquestions.org. Great website, great app. You should check it out. Throughout scripture, we see numerous instances of angels and an integral part of God's plan. There is a verse that alludes to the possibility of angels walking among us today. Listen to Hebrews 13.2. I'm going to give it to you now because it will be a long time until we get there. Hebrews 13.2. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Or maybe you've heard it translated, we entertain angels unaware. What does that mean? Well, some say that's in the past. That doesn't happen anymore. It's a reference to Abraham when the angelic visitors came in the form of men. I say, well, sounds to me like he's talking to people living in his day. And I don't think that that changed when the scripture was finished being written. I, I do believe there could be angels among us. I think there are dozens of scripture. I know there are dozens of scriptural examples of angelic encounters. Um, some basics, okay? Angels can instruct people. Genesis 16, 9. Angels can help people. Daniel 6. Angels can deliver messages to people. Luke 1. Remember the angelic visitor to Joseph, to Mary. Angels can appear in visions and dreams. Daniel 10. Angels can protect people. Exodus 23. All these are in your notes. Angels can help carry out God's plans. There are many, many, many 
Old and New Testament references to such things. So God has used these heavenly hosts from the beginning of time. And I believe it is possible that some, if not many people, have met or seen an angel without realizing it. Now remember this. If angels do walk among us, it's because they're serving a God-ordained purpose. So don't be looking for an angel on every street corner. Know who God is. Read the word. Let the word get in you and do what it says. But I believe there are also demons that wander with no purpose other than to destroy. Satan and his demonic forces may appear physically like an angel. And Satan's purpose is to deceive, to, to kill. And Satan, remember 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. He's not coming at you with horns and a pitchfork and a tail and red. No, look. Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And, and it's important to remember they're never to be worshipped, glorified. They're entities who carry out the will of God if they're holy angels. And they're just fellow servants. Re Revelation 22, 9. They're fellow servants with us. Now whether or not you've actually experienced an angelic encounter, I can't say. But I will say don't trust your feelings. Don't trust that hair on the back of your neck. Don't trust that cool breeze. We just cut the air down so y'all wouldn't sleep, okay? Don't trust in weird stuff like that. Don't be putting your faith in that kind of stuff. Put your faith in Christ alone. Now let me summarize what we've talked about the last few days with, or last few weeks with angels. They're divine messengers. Remember, angelos means messenger, God appointed. They appear to be active today as best I can tell, but they may come in a way that we don't fully understand. So what about a guardian angel for each person? What about that? Well, listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 18.10. Sometimes people look at this verse and assume it automatically means we have guardian angels. But just listen to what the Lord said here. And, and this, again, should be in your notes. Matthew 18.10. Uh, the Lord is speaking and he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. He's not talking about children. He's talking about Christians. One of these little, little Christ, these followers of mine. Don't despise one of them, for I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Hmm. Their angels. Interesting. Does that guarantee that we have a one-to-one -one guardian angel? No. And most Bible scholars kind of come to where I come to here that it's more likely that there are a set of angels which God assigns to the task of looking after believers. They're angels, sort of generally speaking. But the one thing I'm certain of is, is that the it's a wonderful life concept of George having Clarence and Clarence working for his wings, that's over the top, okay? Now, I'll shed a tear with you, and we'll watch it at Christmas, and when old George holds that beautiful little blonde-headed girl at the end and the bell rings and everybody's cheering and there's a tear, and all, I'm with you there. So I'm not throwing away all of that stuff. What I am saying is that it's more biblical to understand angels are here for us believers. And if you are not part of the family of God, I would remind you, you are in the family of the enemy. You are on Satan's team. You are under the wrath of God already. The Bible even says in John 3, 18, you're condemned already. And so you have angels working on you too. But they're not God's angels. They're fallen. Angels are created being with great intelligence and wisdom, but they don't know everything. They can move back and forth, biblically speaking, from the spiritual realm to the physical, it appears. And God created angels as holy, but some later rebelled. And so these evil angels will be cast away with Satan into eternal fire at the end of time. 
But I've kind of concluded, if you've got notes, I kind of concluded with this. Ultimately, we must have more commitment to Christ than curiosity about angels. That's an important thing, guys. Let's have more commitment to Christ than curiosity about angels. I, I would say this. I wouldn't be so fast to discount everything and be able to explain everything away. Nor would I be so fast to jump on the latest fad and say, oh, there are angels everywhere. Look at the blah, 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 blah. No, no, no. I'm more, in, I'm more in tune with an Ephesians 6 model that says, look, there are all kinds of spiritual hosts around us. There's a war always going on. There are battles raging everywhere in the unseen. If you are not a Christian, you may be either oppressed or possessed by unholy angels. If you are a Christian, you may only be oppressed, not possessed. You're already possessed by the spirit of the living God. And the demon and the Holy Spirit can't live together. But you may find yourself in an oppressed situation. But don't be so quick to blame things on angels. Because so often we've not done our part. Hey, Peter, get you, uh, gird yourself. Get your undergarments on. Get your sandals on your feet. Put your outer coat on. Let's go. What if Peter had said, well, wait a minute. Why can't you do that for me? You went boom and the chains fell. Why can't you do that? Some people are waiting for that sort of thing. And that's just not the way God works. So we just praise God and we don't praise the angels for protection and guidance and understanding and ultimately for salvation in Christ. So what does that country song say? Do y'all know that Alabama song? Came out, um, came out the year we graduated from high school, 93. Sounds like a long, 30 year anniversary next year. Holy smokes. Whew, I'm not gonna say anything. Wow, that's a long time ago. Do y'all remember the Alabama song? Oh, I believe there are angels among us sent down to us from somewhere up above they come to you and me in our darkest hours to show us how to live maybe but i'd rather trust jesus to teach us how to give okay but jesus gave more to guide us with the light of love well jesus is the light and jesus is love so while that's okay, and it's probably on my phone, I'm sure it's on a playlist I've got somewhere. I'm not going to toss it out, but I'm going to tell you that Jesus is so much greater than the angels. Even if they guard, even if they guide, even if they give example, Jesus is greater. He is the Son of God and not merely a ministering spirit. He is to be worshipped, not the angels. He is the king of all creation, the immutable creator, and he has given matchless ultimate authority. And when you die, God is not going to let you into heaven because you knew a lot about angels. God is going to let you into heaven if you know Jesus. If you have trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and your Savior, if you believe he died on the cross for your sin, was buried, raised the third day, I'm not telling you you have to understand it all, but I am telling you you must believe. And if you will receive Christ, you will see the angels one day. You will walk heavenly streets with angelic beings one day. But I'll guarantee you, you'll never have a desire to fall down and worship them because you'll be falling down at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.